Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we re-examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Bowell. And today we are pulling back the crypt to review Peter Jackson's Bad Taste. But before we get to that, I just want to say, Stephanie, I missed you. I missed you, friend. Did you have fun recording with your wife? I had a brilliant time recording with uh, cult fiction guest star Mariah Boel. <laughs> oh, did you guys in fact snuggle up, eat popcorn, have a date? Absolutely, we literally did, yeah. Yeah, the movie oh, was a so date cute. and the recording session was another date and it was a lovely time, was had by all. <laughs> A lovely time while watching Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to hear more when I listen to that episode. That's right, yeah. So time, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. The re- <laughs> listeners hearing this afterwards, you haven't heard it yet, so love that. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. But yes, anyway, today you are back with us and... We are watching Bad Taste. Bad Taste in my mouth. Bad Taste in fashion. Bad Taste by the Crips. I mean, I, I gotta tell you right before we get into like formal review, this was probably worse than Killer Clowns from a like graphic gory standpoint so <laughs> you, you dodged one bullet just to walk straight into the path of another one it was i it wasn't even scary it was just gross listeners this is a gross movie fair but one that i really actually liked um <laughs> andy no andy yes so bad taste Why? is the story of the town of Kaiharo, which is invaded by aliens who capture and kill everyone with the intentions of serving human beings as part of an intergalactic fast food franchise. And the Astro Investigation and Defense Force, a team of four New Zealanders who track down the conspiracy and kill all the alien invaders. Yep. And so this this came out in 1987. For context, this was a year before Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And this was uh, three years after the Toxic Avenger. But the story of this film's production and the circumstances of how this film was made are just utterly fascinating to me. This is unlike any other movie we've seen on cult fiction because this was a true like home movie passion project kind of scenario that picked up so much steam that eventually it it became a a justified movie. And like the New Zealand film commission was like, we'll put this in theaters. We'll see how it does. But like, this is, this isn't a $2 million budget. This isn't some studio trying to stop making soft core like trauma and actually make actual movies. This is just somebody with a passion for filmmaking, grabbing his buddies and spending four years to make something. Yeah. Yeah, four years on the weekends. So it, it very much reminds me of how, you know, artists today have to have their side hustle 
they have to work their main job to fund their art and then they have their side hustle and you have to respect that. I agree. And I, I respect the hell out of it. Like this, I, I, I think really part of the reason I enjoyed this movie so much is just, you can look at everything and then look at it through the lens of this was just a bunch of guys with no formal acting experience, making their own equipment, figuring it out as they yeah. went along. And back in the eighties, it was harder to do that, but also in a way it was easier to do that. And, and either way, I mm. just, I respect the hell out of it. I love it. It reminds me a lot of the uh, story behind clerks because sure. it has a lot of that same, I did this on the weekend with people I knew in the smallest budget I possibly could. And half of this budget was actually given to Peter Jackson halfway through by the New Zealand arts commission. Uh, specifically I, the film commission. Thank you. So that they financed half of the movie after seeing what he'd already made so far. And then they said, okay, here's more money. And I think that's, that's how the rest of the movie got made. Cause otherwise I don't think it would have taken only four years. I think it would have taken longer. Absolutely. It's so weird. You watch it. And like, I knew it took four years to make this movie before I sat down to watch anything, but you know, you watch it and just from a sense of like, okay, we've got like two main shooting locations and you know, there, there are some special effects. There are, there are some cool um, handmade guns. There are handmade alien costumes, but like wrap your head around four years. That is, that, yeah. that is such a long time. Four years on the weekends because all these guys yeah. had actual day jobs. Um, but it's just, it's, it's crazy, you know? And, and we're going to talk about a couple of things, but for, the first time I actually, I have a, a little viewing recommendation for anybody who was interested in this movie or um, is like me, just utterly fascinated by the making of it. There is a free to watch um, 20 minute short film documentary about the making of this movie. And it's actually um, from the site called New Zealand on screen, which I love. Uh, and we're going to link that in the notes. And it's just this little making of with a bunch of interviews from a 25 year old Peter Jackson. And I think it's delightful. That's lovely. Speaking of Peter Jackson, he is a surprisingly good actor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I gotta, I gotta ask you, how far in the movie were you when you realized that Derek, one of the main four, was a clean-shaven Peter Jackson? Oh, probably about ten minutes because I read the IMDb page. Okay, fair enough. Um, I, I must have skipped over the cast list or something because it took me the entire movie where, where finally the credits are rolling. And I went, wait, what? Wait, Peter Jackson yeah. was more than just the one zombie? Wait. Wait, which one was Derek? It, it, it can't be the one I think is. Oh, whoa. Oh, what? my gosh. Yes. A clean shaven Peter Jackson. And then one scene where Derek is torturing the zombie that's hanging off the side of the cliff. Peter Jackson is fighting himself. He is indeed. And I went back and I rewatched it. Um, you know, they shoot this thing in, in such a good way that... Derek and 
Robert is the zombie's name. Derek and Robert are never actually in frame at the same time. And if you do see them, it's like you see Derek's foot or you see everything but Robert's head. They they worked this out in such a way that made it completely plausible that it was two yeah. different people. Yeah, I loved um I love Derek cuz he just goes off the rails crazy. Yes. Throughout the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, to quote the movie, he he goes ape shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, you're you're absolutely right. A great um acting performance by him. He's he he puts on this this ex, this exaggerated voice. He does all this zany crazy stuff with his face and <laughs> you know, he he puts himself through all of the craziest grossest stuff. Uh, rather than mm-hmm. any of his friends. <laughs> he literally picks up other people's brains and puts it in his own head. <laughs> we're getting we're getting ahead of ourselves. Well, I mean, so this, you know, I I, I did say in the Killer Clowns episode just to kind of preface that I my my knowledge of the movie was that it was kind of gory at times. <laughs> and oh <laughs> i don't think i properly set people up for for what to expect i certainly didn't know what to expect because I'd, I'd watch the trailer and you know you see mm-hmm. the alien masks and you maybe see one guy like get shot and so you see the blood splurt and you're like oh, okay whatever that's that and that's like a tiny morsel of what this movie offers in terms of insane gore to give our listeners a taste within the first, I want to say it's the first 10 minutes aliens are using one of their alien buddies as a battering ram for a locked door. And that's just the non gore. There are also blown off limbs. Someone wearing someone else's a skin suit someone shooting so hard through a through an alien and then using that alien kind of as a silencer for shooting more people yeah yeah Uh, followers of our instagram account will be able to remember when we watched this because i i was dming you on twitter and saying he pushed his gun through a guy to shoot more guys Yeah, like so so what I was even gonna say is like within the first five minutes we do see somebody get their head cut in half and you see like oh, the right. uh, the little stumpy bits and, and you had another Toxic Avenger incident, I hear. Yes, of I'm sitting down to eat lunch and watch a movie and quickly realize, no no, I'm I'm done eating. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh <laughs> uh, the things I give up for this podcast. I don't know. Uh, for me, I was I was eating a bowl of chili, and I, I I kept going back for more. Like even after I wasn't hungry, I just I couldn't stop eating chili while while watching this. I want to vom, really. Because <laughs> chili. Speaking of wanting to vom, listeners, if you're all at all weird about vomiting. Maybe this is a good movie to skip for you. Um, There is a scene in which an alien is forced to vomit and then 
all of the other aliens are forced to drink that vomit. And I very nearly, like, had to, I had to grab a trash can, just in case. Which, which, sure. which is fair. Uh, that scene was absolutely <laughs> nauseating. But, you know, something that I think made it kind of palatable for me and something that made it even funny was, like, the, the alien vomit is this bright turquoise. Um, and like all the aliens are gulping it down. And then we've got the one human who's pretending to be an alien who, you know, goes through the moment where he's like really hesitant to taste it, but he can't blow his cover. So he, he takes a sip and he, he kind of realizes, oh, it's delicious. And then goes back for more really excitedly. See, I missed that because I was covering my face because I Uh... knew if I watched it, I would actually lose my lunch well fair (laughs) but so that that leads me into kind of my thing like i i liked this movie i absolutely liked this movie and i know you were shocked to hear that i think you were gearing up for another (laughs) like dual hate session but the thing the thing about bad taste that really sets it apart from toxic avenger and blood for dracula um is it's funny it's it legitimately funny. funny in multiple ways. Yeah. There's so many good lines. The gore is almost... It does become funny because it's just so ridiculously over the top. Yes. And the aliens look like they're from AHA, like an 80s pop band. Because they've all got like the shaggy blonde hair. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, just a... Like, because the aliens have human disguises so yeah you just got a bunch of new zealand farm boys like running around the countryside pretending they're zombie aliens and it's delightful (laughs) until they reveal themselves to be aliens and they change into their alien form which is like the last 10 15 minutes of the movie right and it, it all feels very doctor who um, oh, it's so Doctor Who-y. Yeah, I told you Doctor Who with guns was... was <laughs> That's the vibe the trailer gives you, for sure. Um, and then the movie doesn't disappoint. No, it, it absolutely doesn't. And you can tell, like, like, Peter Jackson was a Who fan back in the day. There are so many callbacks and homages. You know, Derek wears a, a big scarf that is reminiscent of the fourth Doctor... Um, one of the characters, Ozzy, he makes a TARDIS joke when they're talking about aliens saying, you know, you know, you check all the phone booths, um, the, the <laughs> plot, the, the makeup, it, it, it's all straight out of like a of the time Doctor Who episode. And, you know, we're massive Who fans. So that was just delightful. It was. It was really nice. There are also some parallels, I think, to Lord of the Rings. Two of the gentlemen who work for the Astro Investigation and Defense Force, Ozzy and... Barry, they're like the original Merry and Pippin because they're just on this fun adventure and they're here to blow up some aliens and talk smack. <laughs> I think that's a great uh, connection there, and I I fully agree with it. And you had a good point. There's uh there's there's something about Peter Jackson and unwashed <laughs> men walking around New Zealand. I'm just saying, this movie, no one looks like they've showered or cleaned their hair in a while. Lord of the Rings, obviously no one has washed their hair in a while. (laughs) And then you made a good point of, which other movie did you talk about? Oh, King Kong. But that's Australia. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) I I think King Kong is Australia, isn't it? 
It it probably is. Uh, I'm actually I don't remember. not entirely sure, but you know, you make a fair point, and it you know it's interesting thinking about Peter Jackson. Lord of the Rings was such a big billing, make him a big name in the game moment for him. Mm-hmm. But you look at the rest of his his film career, and he started off with you know bad taste, and then. Bad Taste was successful, so they gave him a budget, and he made a movie called Dead Alive, which is very much like the same vibes as Bad Taste. So he does all this insane, super super campy gore stuff, and then just kind of immediately pivots into getting Lord of the Rings. And, you know, that, that totally resets his profile. He becomes, the, you know, the guy who made Lord of the Rings and king kong and lovely bones which got a bunch of like oscar cred and then kind Mm -hmm. of pivots back into um the hobbit trilogy which you know is is kind of a mixed bag but it's just it's it's really interesting to me looking at this guy's career path because it just it Mm. kind of jumps up out of nowhere yeah how seriously he had no movies between dead bodies and Lord of the Rings. Um, looking at it now, so he he did have something called Heavenly Creatures, which I haven't heard of. But um, looking at it now, it's a Kate Winslet movie from 1994. And I mean, I just I'm I'm not gonna vamp. I I know nothing about Heavenly Creatures. And then he had The Frighteners, which was a movie about Michael J. Fox who could see ghosts and was like. A, a living human detective for ghosts and the frighteners is actually a pretty enjoyable time but again it's it's very campy and then he goes from the frighteners into uh lord of the rings fellowship of the ring wow that's a complete 180 yeah it it totally is and and you know i remember uh back watching the oscars um watching return of the king sweep and it really was uh, just like, okay, now you're Peter Jackson. And yeah. it's it's just, it's really interesting. You know, we, we've got some directors on here and, you know, we've watched a couple of their movies where they're super high profile names, but I don't know if we've watched anybody yet who it's like what we're doing now where we're looking at their literally in Peter Jackson's case, first movie, first efforts. And, and wow commenting on that yeah it's so funny you should bring up uh peter jackson at the oscars because this is the movie he's famous for telling the academy they were right to ignore (laughs) and i was telling alex that is saying that the academy would have even acknowledged this is like saying a beautiful woman acknowledges like anyone else in the room other than other beautiful people like someone saying oh like it's so good we didn't date at that time in her life because I wasn't ready for her. Like, dude, the Academy wasn't even looking at bad taste. <laughs> they weren't even, they wouldn't even deign to look down their nose at it. They'd just be like, oh, look, what over there? Yes. <laughs> right. No, bad taste was submitted for like some New Zealand film festival. And as far as I can tell, oh, really? that was like the only real release it got it. I think it got like a limited theatrical release in Australia, but 
then it gets really weird and and there are all these conflicting reports of like this movie was not available for people to see until like 2001 um wow you know i read something on imdb where like when this was released for blockbuster in germany they made a point Mm -hmm. of putting the director of lord of the Mm -hmm. rings on the box to like kind of get people to watch it (laughs) so there's somebody (laughs) out there who like saw lord of the rings with its you know brilliant fantastical production values and then saw this movie and went oh oh it's the same it's peter jackson it's the lord of the rings guy oh i gotta watch this and no way they could have been prepared for the the gear shift of quality and tone and emotion (laughs) (laughs) the level of gore nastiness i don't know this is something else this is this is something else um you know thinking about lord of the rings thinking about all the different ways orcs splatter and die and you know that's true like there's the through line right there is is he's always been really great about creative gore bastard jesus he's gone action bastard but you know i gotta say even beyond that i think peter jackson did a phenomenal job with what he had with bad taste you know he was the director cinematographer editor director makeup effects supervisor you know, the man did far more than your average Hollywood director did it. And of course that's because, you know, this was his first movie and everybody's doing multiple jobs and this is just something you do with your buddies. But like the guy builds a $20 steady cam rig, which for comparison is like a piece of equipment that is usually back in the eighties, five grand easily. The man makes his own for $20 and figures it out and does his best. And the camera work is really good. It's really engaging. Yeah. He made the, all the alien masks. He baked them in his mother's oven. (laughs) And that's actually why they're a little bit concave in the forehead because they couldn't quite fit otherwise. Right. (laughs) Which makes for just a great look and an even better story. Yes. And actually, for an even better story, when all the aliens shed their alien form and become, or shed their human form, excuse me, and become proper aliens, Alex said, oh, are these the masks that, and then in the middle of it, he interrupted himself and he said, oh my God, they've got asses because there's the aliens masks. And then you turn around and for some reason, their butt cheeks are showing. Yeah. For no good reason. Which is a very Alex thing to immediately notice. <laughs> Are these the masks that he made in? Oh my god, they've got asses. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I noticed the alien butts too. Um, <sighs> hmm. Yeah, Alex had quite a lot to say during this movie, I, I gather. Um, yes, there's also, we talked about, um, this Andy Bowell looking motherfucker. (laughs) Because listeners, Giles, the tax collector who was written out halfway through the movie because he was getting a divorce and then written back in, or was getting married and then was written back in after he got a divorce. So clearly it wasn't a successful marriage. But Giles, the tax collector, looks like Andy Bowell back in the day. Like, 
14, 15-year-old Andy Boel looked a lot like that. Yeah, specifically because I went back and I, I, I got to agree with you. It's it's Andy Boel's sophomore year when he grew a mustache for the first time. And it was a bad mustache, but he kept oh. it. And like, oh. it's, it's the mustache and the hair and the glasses. But yeah, that that dude... Craig Smith, wherever you are, um, is my New Zealand doppelganger of yesteryear for sure. Well, now that you two have grown up a bit, I wonder if you look if you still look like each other. I challenge anyone to find a picture of this guy <laughs> that is not from the era of this movie. Because um, I mean, you know, it's it's so interesting. None of these guys are actors. Um, no. You know, that little documentary I referenced, it shows what everybody's real job is. You know, Craig Smith, the guy we're talking about, he was a marketing executive. Of course he was. Barry, the the guy who kind of we opened the story on, he's the dude with the sweet biker stash who looks like Haley Joel Osment. Um, he was a <laughs> post office clerk. Like... This no. is, yeah, so this is like, this is literally farmers and marketing people and post office dudes who just all knew Peter Jackson and, I mean, decided, yeah, whatever, it's it's New Zealand in the 80s and our buddy wants to do something. We got nothing better to do. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's dedicate four years to this. And the greatest <laughs> thing about that, speaking of Barry with his sweet biker stash, he showed up on the first day of filming with like a three-day stubble. They filmed him that way. And then for the next four years, he could never grow out his facial hair beyond just like that mustache and three-day stubble. Oh, poor baby. That's dedication. <laughs> that sounds downright uncomfortable. Apparently, once they were finally done, like the guy said, like, I'm not used to shaving now. And this is really weird for me. <laughs> Oh, bless. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love that. So a lot of stuff that is very commendable about this movie and very enjoyable, but I, I got to say one of those things was not the overall story and script. <laughs> yeah, the script isn't great. That's uh, that's really where you can tell that this was like a home project. I, I think one of the ways I felt that Lord of the Rings is a complete 180 from this is that in Lord of the Rings, because it's based on a novel, everything is so carefully scripted and everything, the stakes are immediately presented. And here this movie opens with a phone call from who knows, we don't ever yeah. see that person never, again. Never touched on again. Never even mentioned. Um, at first I thought that was an alien person because his there's a weird situation with his fingers um one of his fingers is a lighter it, candle situation yeah, the weird the weirdest thing the man is missing a hand and he's got a prosthetic but the prosthetic is a single pointer finger for him to like press buttons yeah yeah so i wondered okay is this an alien and it's going to be like the end point of the movie is going to be like the aliens were inside the operation the whole time but we never again see this person and then they call the bad boys or the big boys. I think it's the, the bad boys. boys. The bad boys, yeah. Yeah. And then we're brought to Derek walking around New Zealand shooting aliens. And Derek is really bad at his job, Andy. Derek is 
so bad at his job. Literally in one shot, one of the guys is saying, okay, just don't hurt the aliens. And in the next one, he's like, I'm going to poke it with a stick. Yeah. yeah. But Derek, just whatever you do, leave it alone. Don't touch it. Derek hangs up the phone, turns around and says, I'm going to torture you now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Derek, no. Derek, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's the new shirt. <laughs> so true and then this audio podcast is brought to you by carl's jr because <laughs> as he's torturing the poor alien um a blood splat hits his glasses and i was like oh look a carl's jr shot yes he gets the ketchup all over his face mm, carl's we, jr for when blood makes you hungry we we have definitely reached the point where we need to reach out and get that carl's jr sponsorship <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that that Derek scene, it you know, it was so funny watching it and not realizing that it was Peter Jackson because I'm sitting there being like, okay, this dude is clearly his best friend. He's given him the weirdest crap to do. He gets a whole scene where, you know, he just runs around with an Uzi and <laughs> shoots a bunch of aliens and gets the, you know, the the big action sequence where he's on a cliffside. And then he, Derek, falls off a cliff. And I got to say, like, I was sitting here being like, that is the most accurate representation of a person falling off a cliff. Because he just kind of tumbles down. And it's it's actually this really brilliant, like, um, uh, mannequin that is positioned in such a way where it's, like, in a roll. So it, it doesn't look as mm. fake as your, as your typical, you know, body double mannequin. But, you know, Derek falls down a cliff and then has this giant bloody explosion at the end where just his, his body has exploded and it was delightful i think <laughs> delightful disgusting i'll let our listeners decide yeah you know you can walk either side of that coin um yeah but so we you know they they let us think Derek's dead and then a couple like like 10 minutes later he opens his eyes and i'm i'm literally sitting there being like okay wait hold on i literally saw this guy explode and the camera pulls away and derek sits up and you notice that he has just landed on a bunch of seagulls and that was the explosion (laughs) (laughs) and on the one hand that's really funny and hilarious but on the other hand and what i appreciate even more is it like it justifies this movie, for all of the crazy gore and for all of the, you know, low budget and maybe not so strong script writing, went like it took the time to justify all of the most implausible stuff. We see Derek explode, but it turns out it was seagulls. Later on, they rip off an alien's head and, you know, rip out his, his head and his spinal cord and then immediately like look at each other and go... Well, that was easier than it should have been. <laughs> and a lesser filmmaker, like, wouldn't have even cared. Like, Troma Studios right. wouldn't have bothered justifying anything. But Peter Jackson did. And that is one of the things I, re- I enjoyed the most and really respected the most about Bad Taste. You think you'd better kill him, Barry? Jeez, he could be Ministry of Works or something. Ah, he's moving too fast. It is committed to its own 
Insanity. <laughs> Insanity. I was going to say, say shtick, but it's not sticky. It's just sticky. It's committed to its camp. I think that's the there way. There you go. Yeah. The only thing that really didn't work is, you know, you mentioned, so when, when Derek has his fall, he cracks his skull open, but it a thing happens where I'm sitting there being like, that's not how skulls work, where, you know, he gets the, the chunk of the back of his skull that basically just becomes like on a hinge and it keeps falling out unless Derek consciously like ties a belt around his head to keep his own skull closed. It's like a little trap door. It's a little trap door, and, you know, he keeps leaking his brains out all over the place. I, I, I made a point I wanted to discuss with you. What do you think happens after you get a little bit of hay on your brain? <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know. Do you think you turn into a cow, maybe? Or, like, he's, he's clearly not well. <laughs> he No, no, Derek is not well at all. And you know, uh-huh. we, we, we talked about all the gore. We talked about the vomit. For me, the grossest thing in this movie is Derek with his head fallen open, grabbing a handful of alien brains, shoving it into his own skull, and then like closing mm-hmm. the door on it and just excess goop leaking out everywhere. That was... That was the moment for me where it was like, oh, this has crossed the threshold. This is nasty. (laughs) Really? It wasn't uh, when Derek in the final, you know, tete-a-tete basically births himself into the alien skin? Because that was too much for me. Yeah, I, I love the crypt. You know, I I don't know if anybody even cares when I keep saying this, but like I don't game the system and just there were there were so many delightful callbacks, you know. Thinking about chainsaw kills makes me think of American Psycho and <laughs> like specifically dropping down from the ceiling with a chainsaw and That's and true. yeah, rebirthing yourself through an alien. Oh, very into the void. I was going to say, like, that is the weirdest yeah. shit we have seen since the inside the vagina sequence from Enter the Void. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there was a Sergeant Pepper drop, too. Did you catch that? I did, yeah. Derek's van had a little Sergeant Pepper weird mannequin thing poster in the window. I was like, yay, Beatles! <laughs> yeah. Well, and they're in their Sergeant Pepper's, like, costumes, too. I'm like, oh, this is, like... Very specific and relevant to our lives. Exactly. Especially for you. You just went from one end to the other. Well, and I haven't seen Killer Clowns from Outer Space because I specifically won't. But I imagine that there's a lot in common. You know, there's aliens. There's Isn't there an eating theme? Isn't Killer Clowns from Outer Space about how they're turning people into candy? Absolutely there is. So much that, like... In the last episode, I made a point of explaining the plot, and it, it is just so funny to me. Like, yeah, Killer Clowns from Outer Space is about a bunch of aliens who turn people into cotton candy and eat them. And Bad Taste was about a bunch of aliens who come and kill people so that they can turn them into fast food. So in a way, yeah. you you watched the same movie, <laughs> just without clowns. Hey, listen... 
clowns were the reason I couldn't watch it. So I'm fine with watching the movie. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I'm just hoping the next one isn't vomiting and then drinking vomit. Which, by the way, the recipe for that vomit, if you ever want to make it at home, is one part yogurt, one part muesli, and three drops green food dye. Yeah. If you want to make that, kids, for your Halloween haunted houses. I'm, I'm debating on whether or not to remind you that this is coming out in May. <laughs> well, next Halloween. Then. There you go. There you go. Love it. <laughs> no, I the, the vomit was gross. I was I was wondering if there was Lucky Charms in there because that's kind of what it looked like to me. But I don't know. What else can we say about bad taste? Um, let's see that's not how schools work synchronized watches bit i didn't catch that oh yeah so i mean just like you know talked about why this movie's funny this 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 had a clear sense of comedy and you know maybe toxic avenger had a clear sense of comedy but if it did it never landed with either of us same for blood for dracula if that was supposed to be funny like i never Mm -hmm. thought it was but bad taste was full of so many just genuine comedic bits. One of them being when um, Frank, Ozzy, and Barry are going to like raid the house. They all meet up on a hill, and and one of them's like, "Okay, synchronized watches, guys." And he puts, we see his watch, and it's synchronized to twelve oh one. And then we see Ozzy, who isn't wearing a watch, and he goes check. And then we go to Barry, whose watch says it's like six fourteen, and he goes check. And they're just a bunch of idiots, and I love it. <laughs> oh, I was going to say my favorite part is at the height of alien technology. After they've, you know, the house has rattled from its foundation and it's flying up into space, the house has a crank window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's in the alien, the head alien is like cranking the window open or closed. I can't remember which. And I'm just like, really? R- really? You're from outer space. And, and that's, that's what you got. You've got a crank window. Okay. <laughs> well, and, and did you notice he had an old timey, like corded analog phone that he called home on? <laughs> <laughs> well, in 87, both of those things were the height of technology. So I guess I should give it, you know, I guess we should give it credit. Well, I just, I, I like the, the lack of the, not lack of imagination. Cause I think they were doing it as a shtick, but you know, just the thing of being like, yeah, yeah. The aliens are no, they, I mean, they have a spaceship, but the spaceship's just a house and yeah, they all work for a fast food joint and like they're the most human aliens. <laughs> Oh, oh, this movie blows up a sheep. We need to mention that. <laughs> Cult movies are not kind to animals at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> but in fairness, I think uh, as opposed to some other movies, no actual sheep were harmed in the making of this movie. <laughs> that is the most Kiwi thing to do is be like, what else can we do? <gasps> Let's blow up a sheep. <laughs> Absolutely. Because <laughs> they're all over the movie. You keep seeing them. And then just it's such a funny little uh callback for the last the big climactic explosion is a sheep getting blown up with a rocket launcher like that's an amazing (laughs) sentence i just got to say (laughs) i love it i i i enjoyed this movie you know this is episode 18 and for me at least i would squarely say this is in the top half of movies we've seen despite its 
you know, it's humble beginnings, it's lack of a budget. You know, I talked about on the last episode, what's better, an expensive movie that's awful or a movie with no budget that's awful. And this was like, this was supposed to be the offering of the no budget awful movie. And it wasn't awful. It was great. Oh, I'm glad you thought so. I really did. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I, I have to say for me, so much of my enjoyment of a movie is plot. My favorite thing to follow is plots and plot structure and what kind of story are they telling and critiquing on that level. Oh, sure. And there wasn't enough to have happen here that I got that. So I was like, okay, I'm sure Andy will like it because there's, you know, on a film level, there's a lot here. Like, like you said, the, the filming is beautiful. Um, the prosthetics are fantastic. The special effects are wonderful. The costumes are the 80s. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think there wasn't enough in the story for me to say, yeah, I'm here for it, and I have a lot to talk about. So I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I think this is one of those movies that you get to enjoy and I get to go, that's nice, dear. <laughs> <laughs> well, very fair and very accurate. <laughs> I, I, I definitely enjoyed this movie for its its technical stuff more than its actual plot. But... Yeah, you know. <laughs> hey, you win some, you lose some. And this is nothing if not the crypt saying, okay, we're on a theme. Let's continue on that theme. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I was like to ask you, you know, was this movie cult? I think we kind of oh, spent yeah. the whole episode talking about how this was cult. Yeah, it's homemade. It's, I mean, it, it did garner a little bit of success, but it certainly wasn't in no way a blockbuster I don't think I've met anyone who knows of this movie outside of like really, really into it film buffs. Um, it's quotable. It's weird. One of my favorite quotes is when Derek is pumping the zombies full of bullets and says, eat lead, sucker," which is just like someone using a very American phrase and saying it in a very New Zealand accent is my favorite thing. It's a good thing to have it be your favorite thing. <laughs> no, like yeah, this one, this is this is absolutely cool. This this has such weird circumstances where like it it didn't get a worldwide theatrical release. It did get you know some play in blockbusters around the world, but not for like fifteen years after it was made you know this like like i said earlier this was being put in blockbusters at like 2001 after peter jackson had gained the notoriety by being the lord of the rings guy and most people probably saw this with that expectation and before that this was this secret movie that you couldn't find and there's something absolutely cult about that Oh, for sure. Uh, my favorite quote also came from Derek, and it was in the same scene where he's he's running around with the Uzi and shooting aliens. Um, he's sitting there by a tree, and he just goes, I'm a Derek, and Derek's don't run away. Which is equal parts just charming and completely nonsensical. Hold on, I'm running back to the mic. I have to grab my No problem. Yes, that Derek's are a tribe and they don't run away. Yes. <laughs> well, you liked this. I did. A lot more than I did, but I still came up with an Oscar. Good, I'm glad.
I think as we talked about a lot in this, I love the level of devotion made to it. And I feel like this movie deserves the Oscar for most devoted crew. Absolutely. The fact that you can watch the credits and see the same four people's name over and over and over again just kind of proves like, oh, this was homemade. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I think this is the first time in the show, but we have pretty much the same Oscar. Wow, really? Yeah, because like mine specifically was I was going to say I want to give Bad Taste the Oscar for best way to spend four years with your buddies. And, you know, it's Aww. it's the same thing, pretty much. They were all devoted to doing this. One guy didn't shave for four years. I love the spirit of the movie. You know, I liked Bad Taste. I, I've made that clear. But I think, like, the passion project nature of it and just the idea that, like, these were his friends and they all agreed to be in his movie. And, you know, the one, like, one, the the one guy, Giles, you know, he got married and his wife didn't want him to do this on the weekends. So they wrote him out. And then after that marriage fell apart, they were like, of course you're back in the movie. We'll figure it out. Oh. That, that aspect of it really bumps this movie up for me and really makes it into just a a, a delightful story and, and an inspirational little thing. So first time in cult fiction history, we're both given the Oscar to the crew and their commitment and dedication and friendship. And that makes my heart happy. It's like they went on a fellowship together. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, real real quick, because we we had a moment on Twitter. Uh, Next time you watch Princess Bride, uh, take a moment and acknowledge how much the woman who boos um, Princess Buttercup looks like Donald Trump in a wig. (laughs) It's the nose and the, like, just sad. The beady eyes. I was going to say soulless, but sure. (laughs) Soulless and beady. Amen. Our current president, ladies and gentlemen. You know, it's not Solus and Beatty. <laughs> the eyes I'm assuming of assuming you mean Kevin Bacon. The eyes of the esteemed Kevin Bacon. <laughs> this movie was easy to do Kevin Bacon with because Peter Jackson's in it. <laughs> right, and it would be impossible without him. Oh, absolutely. So I used Pierre Jackson, did you? I, I did, yes. <laughs> okay. I I went very easy mode and said that Peter Jackson was in Lord of the Rings with Liv Taylor. And Liv Taylor was in Super with Kevin Bacon. Which is a hell of a cult movie, let me tell you. <laughs> so listen, Kevin Bacon is cult. No, without a doubt. He's cute. He's quotable. He's in a lot of stuff. Who can say? He's in a lot of campy garbage. Um, oh, no. So I, I, I think I tied you. I also use Peter Jackson, but I, I wanted to go a different route. So Peter mm-hmm. Jackson cameos in all of his movies, and he was mm-hmm. in The Lovely Bones with Mark Wahlberg, who was in Patriot's Day with Kevin Bacon. Mark Wahlberg. I was trying to figure out who MW was. Yeah. <laughs> I know we've talked about it before. That's my favorite thing about our little code is looking at each other's and trying to guess the acronyms. <laughs> I was like, pretty 
pretty bomb, pretty, di- what is PD? I was like, private detective? No. Uh, pretty dick. And Alex from the other room goes, he, I mean, he is in wild things. And I was like, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was waiting to, I was waiting for you to say, Alex, what about my pretty dick? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's see what um, the Magical Crypt has for us next time. Absolutely. We kind of uh, put our fate in the Crypt's hands through the application of a random number generator. And we have 314 movies on our big list of cult stuff. And next time we are going to be watching movie number... Do-do-do-do-do-do. 140... Ooh. Oh, God. So the theme is gore. Oh, no. But in this case, it's animated. Oh, no. The next movie on our list is 1988's anime classic, the the godfather of anime movies, Akira. And I'm excited. I'm so excited. I've never seen that. This is this is going to have some moments for you. I'll I'll tell you right now. And listeners, if you have not seen Akira, this is this is the movie that like introduced anime as a high art form to America. Um, you know, this and of course what Miyazaki was doing. This is an amazing movie. This is a brutal movie. Um, I'm very excited for Akira. I'm just reading the synopsis now, and it sounds like everything I want. Good. In 1998, the Japanese government drops an atomic bomb on Tokyo after ESP experiments on children go awry. 31 years later, a biking gang leader tries to save his friend from a secret government project and battles anti-government activists, greedy politicians, irresponsible scientists, and a powerful military leader until the superpowers suddenly manifest. Yes, please. I'm glad you're excited. I'm very excited. This sounds extremely timely. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's all revolt. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm keeping that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now. But join us next time when we root for either Tetsuo or Canada! For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Bowell. Well, that was special. Hey!